This is the third week in a preaching series, What's So Amazing About Grace? And the first week, we learned how grace can be effective in breaking cycles and patterns of dysfunction, of unhealth, brokenness. And the second week, we learned that when we spread grace on thick and give generously of our love, it can heal wounds. This week, we're looking at the letter to the Christians who who were formerly Jewish in the letter of Hebrews to try to figure out how to balance God's way and also God's grace, not only as they tried to figure it out, but as we try to figure out today. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 through 16. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Anything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Sounds pretty intimidating, right? But here's where the Scripture pivots. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firm to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin." Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, open our ears so that we can hear your word and begin to act on it. God, when we open our minds so that we can understand what it means to receive and also give grace even to ourselves. And God, open our hearts to receive your love so that we can give grace to ourselves and grace to the world. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, a friend of mine offered to give me firewood for my fireplace. And the only catch was I had to come and pick it up and load it and take it back to my house. And luckily, my father-in-law was in town that weekend with his pickup truck, so we went over to retrieve the firewood. And as... We loaded the firewood into the truck. I thanked my friend. We took off our gloves. We got all ready and we departed. But as we were traveling back to the house, I realized something was wrong. I was missing my wedding ring. And my stomach, it dropped. Here was the symbol of my marriage and love of my wife. And we exchanged these rings of love and care all these years ago. Now that symbol of love 
was missing. So the question started. Where could it be? I knew I put the, the ring was on my finger that morning. How was I going to tell Christine? Hey, Christine, you know that symbol of love of our marriage that we gave so lovingly to one another all those years ago? Guess what? That's missing. How do you break the news to someone like that? But immediately I felt guilty. I felt shame. How could I be so careless? How could I lose something so important? And as the shame and regret and guilt filled in quickly, I didn't know what to do. But I'm sure that something has happened in your life, something that you've done or left undone, that has re created regret or shame in your life, maybe something that you shouldn't have said, maybe something that broke up a friendship, maybe you forgot about someone, maybe you did something, maybe you even lost a ring. Sometimes we don't even know that maybe we realize we've done something wrong. And whether it's an error of commission or omission, I'm sure there's something in your life, some part of your life, where you feel some sense of regret or shame for something you've done. A study was done by a team of psychologists at University of Bern, and they studied thousands of men and women between the ages of 13 and 89. And they found out that men and women experience shame and regret differently. And it seems that age has an impact. And a second study that was done by the University of Toronto looked at how shame affects the depressive symptoms of adolescence between the ages of 11 and 16. And they found that teenagers, they exhibited greater shame proneness, as they called it, and more likely to have symptoms of depression. And when we make a mistake, especially young people in an age of social media, it can be replayed over and over. But even years and years go by, we can replay that mistake, that wrongdoing we've done over and over in our minds, and we can get stuck in a pattern of shame. Perhaps that's why the writer of the book of Hebrews, most likely St. Paul, knew that there's something within our human condition, there's something inside of all of us that struggles with the question, what do I do with myself when I make a mistake or I've wronged God or someone else? In writing to the Christians who were formerly Jews under the law of Moses, carrying such wrongdoing was something that they struggled with and something we struggle with today. And the community who was in the intended audience of the book of Hebrews, they lived a life where they were perhaps still holding the commands, the law of Moses and the tradition of Judaism. And to this original audience, such customs surrounding what to do when we injure a friend or someone in our community, that they had to abide by a set of complicated religious law to bring some sense of rightness to a wrong. See, in the Old Testament, 
This revolved around the concept of what we call atonement. The process in which when we commit acts of wrongdoing that bring ourselves at one with God or other people. So after you followed this law, this process of forgiveness prescribed in the Old Testament, you were supposed to be forgiven. However, we know, we know that even after we, we've been told we've been forgiven, that there's a stigma. And that stigma is the shame that we carry and that they carried thousands of years ago. That they and we, we all struggle with the feelings of shame and regret. When we feel like we have let God down, when we feel like we've let down our friends or our family, we all feel that sense of shame. I never forgot how I saw and experienced how shame can play out so devastatingly in someone's life. Many years ago in a community I was serving in, there was a family in our church whose adult son had broken several laws and was put in jail. And the mother of the son came to me very distraught. She didn't know what to do. She pleaded for me to come and visit her son, I'll call him Joe, in jail. Now, at this point in my life, I had never been in jail, either to be incarcerated or to visit someone, hopefully never incarcerated, but I'd never been to jail before. But the mother was so beside herself, so much in anguish that she wanted me, her pastor, to give some sense of comfort to her son. So as I arrived at the jail, I started the process of visiting a member of the incarcerated community. And after I went through the process, I sat in the waiting room. And as I met with Joe, I immediately understood the shame that he was feeling of what he had done. Because the first thing he said to me was this, Alan, I know I've messed up. I always mess things up. I feel so bad because it's so bad in here. This place makes you face the things that you've done, and I'm really struggling. I guess I'm no good, and I guess I'll never be good. And what Joe was describing was how the events that led him to jail connected to how he saw himself. It was as if Joe had listened to someone who told him all those years ago that someone in his past told him that he was no good. So I looked at Joe and said to him, Joe, we can always start anew. And God knows that. And God knows you're hurting. God knows that you're having a hard time and that you're sorry. But you can start a new path of healing and restoration. God loves you and sees you. and You have to know that you can start over. It was a humbling moment for Joe. It was a humbling moment for me. Here is this man who was knee-deep in shame, and he believed that there was no way out. 
I think that's why the writer of Hebrews instructed the early church and us today that to approach God, the throne of God, the space of God with confidence is to say to God, God, I've done something wrong and I'm sorry. But we can have confidence in our forgiveness because Romans chapter 5, verse 8 tells us God demonstrated His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is why we can approach God with confidence that when we've fallen short, that Jesus has done the work of grace for us, that God on the cross, given His life for us, has done the work of forgiveness. However, not all of us can feel like we can approach God with such comfort. Not all of us can feel like we can come near to God in our prayers and our spiritual life like Joe, because there's something that prohibits us. It's unhealthy shame. And we say to ourselves, I've messed up. I'm no good. Why would anyone want to love a person like me? I'm worthless. I'm no good. And I think that's some very ungraceful self-talk that we tell ourselves. And we need to accept the grace that Hebrews talks about. Not only grace from God, but grace for ourselves. That when we've missed the mark, when we've messed up, when we've said or done things that we shouldn't have, we feel shame. And that unhealthy shame, it blocks us from our access to feeling like we are worthy of God's grace, to feel like we're worthy for grace for ourselves. In 1969, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross published her theory on grief and loss when we lose someone dear to us. And this model for grief and loss has been used for decades, but I think it's a model of how we can respond to the shame we feel in our life. And I think this model helps us understand that when we are stuck in shame, that when we understand the process that we're going through, we can begin to understand how shame weighs us down. The first part of this model, when we want to understand what we're experiencing and the shame and the regret we're feeling is that something happens, we do something, we say something we shouldn't have, we did something all those years ago, and at the moment, we experience shock, right? I can't believe I did that. Elizabeth Kruber-Ross called this denial, that sometimes we say, wow, that didn't happen. I could have never done that. Why would I ever do that? We all might be shocked of what we've done. And then we kind of progress to anger. I'm so angry at myself for what I did. I'm so frustrated. I'm so angry and upset of what I've done. But then at some point, our emotional roller coaster begins to change. 
and we feel sadness, right? We feel sad. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross called this part depression. Sometimes we feel depressed. I've done something wrong, and I feel shame. And here's, here's the lowest part of our shame, is that we can get stuck in that sadness. We can get stuck in that depression to say, I'm no good, I'm worthless. But then there's another part. That in our journey, we experience bargaining. Oh, if only the events were different. If only I had done this. If only I had said this. If only I had not done this. If only I didn't say that. Things would be different. And we start this little bargaining game in our shame that we feel. But then... At some point, if we understand the way that we process our shock, our denial, our anger, our sadness, or our depression, we understand what's happening when we're bargaining with ourselves of what we should have done. But there's some point along the journey that we experience acceptance. That we say to ourselves, since God has given me such grace, I need to give myself such grace. And we may not go through these steps all the same. We may jump around and go here and here and go back and then here and all over again. We may, we may go through these symptoms of shame and regret over and over again. We may recycle it. But at some point, if we come to accept We've done something, but that doesn't mean that that's the final word. That there is grace part of the story. That since I am loved by God, I can receive God's grace. I am worthy. I'm not perfect. I'm simply the beloved of God. That God has called us God's children. That we can approach God. We can approach that throne of throne of God, not with fear, not with shame or regret, but we can approach it and know that we have access to God's grace. But when we're stuck in our shame, we're stuck in that cycle of pattern, knowing, knowing that things can be different. When the author of Hebrews communicated that we have such a high priest, Jesus, who came in human form, was trying to communicate that God can intellectually and emotionally understand the shame and the regret we all experience. But we don't have to get stuck when we know the signs of our shame and our regret that we can begin to choose and feel that acceptance of God's grace. That it's only when we've accepted of what we've done, we also accept the grace that God gives when we miss the mark. And that way of the acceptance of God is also the acceptance to give grace for ourselves. New York Times best-selling author Kristen Powell Powers, writer of Saving Grace, tells us what grace for ourselves acceptance 
of God's grace looks like. She writes, grace is the original self-care. It slushes the hectoring inner critic that tells us that we are too much or too little, too fat, too thin, too good, or not good enough. Grace invites us off the hedonic treadmill of relentless achievement and success, which never delivers the happiness it promises. God's grace does not care what size your waist is and celebrates every new wrinkle as evidence of wisdom earned. She writes, it gives us permission to accept that we were doing the best we could with the information we had. When I lost my wedding ring years ago, I had to come to a moment. I had asked myself that even in my shame and my regret of losing my wedding band, I had to ask myself, what can I do? And I realized I could use my resources, I could retrace my steps, I could ask my friend for help, I could go and look back. So that's what I did. I went over my steps. I asked my friend for help. I reached out. And after looking and searching and retracing, finally found that wedding ring. (laughs) But if I stayed in that sense of shame and regret for that mistake that I made, to not to reach out for help, this wedding band would probably be lost forever. Because of Hebrews chapter 4, in God's grace, you are never lost forever. That you are precious and you hold value in God's sight. You are worthy and you are welcome to approach God with grace. And if we are welcome to approach God for grace, and that means we can give ourselves grace because sometimes we can be our own toughest critic. And that you and I, we have resources to help ourselves with our shame, our regret, our ungrace, to find grace for yourself. Here in our church community, we have pastors, Stephen ministry leaders, We have therapeutic resources. We have friends. We have people in our life to help pick us back up. But we have to reach out and utilize those resources so that we do not get stuck in the cycle and the patterns of shame and regret. We all need to reach out. We all need that help in order to find grace for ourselves. 1 John chapter 3 tells us, see what love the Father has for us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. May you know that the love of God is lavished on you. May you know that nothing you can do can make God love you any less. And may you know that you do not have to be your own harshest critic, that you don't have to live in shame and regret. But we all 
can find grace for ourselves through the way God loves you and I. Let us pray. God, we confess that we can go round and round in patterns and cycles of shame and regret. But God, help us see that when you sent your son Jesus into the world, that you sent someone who is perfect without sin, not as a way to push us down, but as a way to build us up to give us a model for our life. That God, as Christ is our high priest, that God, we know that you feel what we feel, that as Jesus walked this earth and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit upon your throne, we do not have to approach you with fear because you have given us mercy, that we hold firmly to the faith that we profess. That, God, we can approach you with confidence in knowing that in our prayers, in our spiritual life, that we can be forgiven of our mistakes, our sin, our wrongdoing. So that means, O oh Lord, if you forgive us, then God, help us forgive ourselves. Help us access that own grace for ourselves that we don't have to beat ourselves up and tell ourselves that we are no good. For God, we are good. For when you created us in, from Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you called us good. Not only good, you called us very good. That God, our intrinsic worth is not found in episodic moments but it's found in the grace that you instilled within us in the grace of Jesus Christ. So God, give us the strength this week that we may go forth knowing that just as you give grace, that we can give ourselves grace for the times that we've fallen short and missed the mark. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.